0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa shares a Christmas message. Now, here's Steve. I don't think I can top that one. I'm not going to try. Just add my thanks to the young people and to all the young at heart here this morning for sharing that Christmas message. I think many... Many, if not most people in the world, would tell you that what you just saw here is nothing but a nice story, and it's one of those stories that gullible people just fall for all the time. Well, I guess they're partly right. It is a nice story. Actually, as we saw, it's an amazing story, and the reality is, though, it really did happen. And God still wants people to come to that realization and let the Christmas message change their lives. I'll apologize if my voice sounds funny, if I have to cough or sneeze, uh, I'm one of the ones fighting a a cold right now. Christmas is a time for people to have, (coughs) excuse me, or develop traditions. It's a time when people make an extra effort to spend time with family and friends. A time when they open their their hearts and their quote-unquote wallets. I say that loosely because half people probably don't know what a wallet is anymore. It's all done electronically. But they open their wallets to help those who might need a a hand up at this time of year. (coughs) Okay, mic on the right side. For some, it's time of year when people sometimes decorate their homes with special plants. Poinsettias. Maybe a Christmas cactus. In our house, we've had amaryllis, these weird plants that grow like this, and they have these great big flowers on top of them, and they just fall over. (laughs) Uh, Maybe some holly or mistletoe for those who are hoping somebody will walk under it. Uh, Many also get a larger plant, namely a tree, at Christmas. Does anyone get roses, by chance? You know, those flowers that are supposed to say, I love you? No? Okay. How about carnations? So I'm going to focus on a variety of that last one this morning, on the carnation, and we're going to focus on the incarnation. The most amazing gift of love that we can ever experience. The time when Jesus humbled himself and came down to earth from heaven and came down to earth as a human being. So I'm going to just... We're going to take a, a bit of a quick tour through the Bible this morning, but I'm going to kind of use the, the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark as kind of my, my basis, oh sorry, of John. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn please to John chapter 1. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Over to verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's just commit this time to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we just pause and just marvel at this time of year when we remember the incredible gift of love that you showed us. When Jesus gave up his spot in heaven, set aside his privileges, and came to earth to live as a human being. And it's just so amazing that he would do that, just knowing what lay in store for him, for our sake and for your glory. Fathers, we just open your word this morning. We just pray that you would just pray for guidance with what I say and open all our hearts. And Lord, Lord, we ask that we may just know you and love you more and that we just this Christmas would be just filled with the love of Jesus. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. So the incarnation refers to what we just read in verse 14. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus took on human form. So, if you were to make a top ten list of all the significant things in history, this should be number one. It should be at the top of that list. Although I don't think we could ever fully understand all the aspects of the Incarnation, I'm going to look at a, a few different pieces of it and hopefully give us a, a better appreciation for it. So I'm going to look at his birth. Just his nature. Jesus was fully man and fully God. we going to talk a bit about how he maintained a relationship with his father and why his incarnation is still important for us today, so many years later. So when we look at his birth, we're thinking of a few things. Just the fact that he actually existed before his birth. In his birth, he fulfilled a whole bunch of prophecy and the nature of that birth itself. So Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born in a manger. He wasn't created at conception, per se. In the beginning of John's Gospel, we're told about the Word. The Word was God, and that Word... Sorry, the Word was God, the Word that was with God. And that's Jesus. It's from the Greek, logos, which can also refer to the reason or the plan. So Jesus was with God right from the very beginning, right from the start. We're told that all things were made through him. Jesus was actively involved in creation of the heavens and the earth and everything there, therein. And that includes us. We know that he was there with God the Father right in Genesis 1, and we read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. Again, emphasis on let us make man in our image. So it wasn't our God is special. We've got a three-in-one God. We have God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all in one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Not only do we see, see that Jesus was there from the beginning, we also see Jesus prophes- prophecies about Jesus' birth hundreds of years before he was born. For example, the location of his birth is prophesied in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem and Fratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Another prophecy about his birth from Isaiah 9 and 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Psalm 2 and 7 says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We also have archaeological proof of things in the Bible. For example, we've got proof that there was a census, and that was the reason that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. We know that there was a small place, actually a pretty insignificant place by our standards, called Nazareth, and so on. one one more prophecy from Isaiah 714 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel this is about six seven hundred years before Jesus was born it's just so amazing how everything right from the beginning has pointed to Jesus right there and how it all comes together coincidence I think not The virgin birth, as we know, is how God created a human nature for his son. In addition to fulfilling prophecy, it's significant that Jesus didn't have a human father. It takes us to the next section, looking at Jesus' nature. And so in looking at his nature, we see that Jesus was fully God, fully man. And he was completely aligned with his father's will. One of the mysteries of the Incarnation is how Jesus, who was with God from the beginning, took on human nature. As we've read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the old or the first ten, test, sorry, in the old or the first testament, God dwelt in a tabernacle, something like a large tent. And his presence was shown in the tabernacle and in the temple. Jesus dwelling among us can be written that he tented, he pitched this tent among us, so to speak. So, when he came down, he pitched his tent where he tabernacled among us. And we know Jesus was fully human. He slept like we do, although, one of the times he was sleeping in a boat when everyone else was worried. Uh, we're told that he experienced hunger. He needed to be protected when he was young. He experienced human emotions. For example, he wept when his good friend Lazarus died. He was angry. When he was tested to see if he would heal the man with a withered hand. And I would suggest that he displayed righteous anger when he cleared the temple of the money changers and the people selling things. In Philippians 2, 6 and 7, the apostle Paul is referring to Jesus when he says, who though in the form, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus wasn't just a man. He was greater than that. He was in the form of God, so to speak, as we said, before his incarnation. So when the Bible says he emptied himself, it doesn't mean he just tossed aside his divine nature. It doesn't mean he stopped being the second person of the Godhead of the Trinity. Rather, he was willing to set aside the honor and the privilege that came with being God. To take on human nature and come down to our level in order to live and experience the things that humans do. In taking the form of a servant, he still had the true and exact nature of God the Father. He's the perfect walking picture of who God is. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 and 3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It also tells us that in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he's fully man and he's fully God as well. He's still in heaven interceding for us and one day we'll all appear before him. I think... One of the the parts that's probably hard to understand about the Incarnation is just how He kept them separate. And when He, as a human, when things happened, our inclination would be just to go down and put on that, take that power from above and just straighten everything out like that. But He didn't. Like everything He did, Jesus gave us the perfect example of how a relationship with God the Father should be. Jesus spent lots of time in prayer with his Father. And all his actions were in keeping with God's plan through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only does what he sees the Father is doing. From John 5 and 19. Everything Jesus did, even those things that he knew, that thing he knew was really going to hurt and be really tough, he did to honor and glorify God. Philippians two and eight. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus knew full well what was in store for him. He prayed to his heavenly father to remove that cup, the price that he was going to have to pay for our sake. He said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup. Wait, what do you say? But not my will, but yours be done. He was in such anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood. And yet he chose to follow his father's will and was the perfect example of seeking and aligning his will and his life to God the Father's will. So what was he like on earth uh, in terms of character? The Bible doesn't tell us much about Jesus' childhood. In Luke's Gospel, we're told that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. When he was 12, we read that he stayed behind in Jerusalem after his family had gone up from the Feast of Passover. And I guess they kind of traveled in big groups and family went back home. And a while later, they realized Jesus wasn't with them. So I'm not sure how people would react if their 12-year-olds wasn't there when you're on the trip. Maybe some have gotten a few hours and realized they weren't came back, but they went a little farther. But his parents went back to find him, and where was he? He was in the temple, listening to and questioning the teacher's. Now, most of what we read about Jesus as a human comes from the time of his ministry, those three years or so leading up to his crucifixion. The Bible tells us that we have all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we don't read in the Bible are instances, though, when Jesus fell short, when Jesus sinned. And that's because he never did. And the Bible is clear about that. In the Old Testament... When someone sinned, whether it was intentional or unintentional, there were rules for that, and sacrifice was required—an animal sacrifice—and generally, it was and blood had to be shed to atone for sin. And the sacrifice had to be perfect; it had to be without blemish, just like Jesus was. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we're told that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hebrews 9 and 22 says that under the law, almost everything is purified by the shedding of blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So what does this mean for us? Some would say that Jesus was just a really good man or a moral teacher. But if he was, that would have meant he still fell short. And that would have disqualified him from being the perfect, sinless sacrifice. So his death on the cross would have meant nothing. But his was the only sacrifice that was needed. For there's one God and only one mediator mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. Earlier, I noted that Jesus' incarnation would be the first on a list of the most significant things in history. A close second would be his resurrection. Christmas happened in order that Jesus can come to earth, die, and rise from the dead on our behalf. So what is our response? What should be our response to all of this? I'm going to suggest to you it should be that's to acknowledge our sinful nature, to repent of our sin and to seek God's forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. As we read in John 1:12, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the presentation earlier, uh, one of the, in one of the narratives, one of the wise young people included a reference from John fourteen six, where Jesus notes that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Those of us who know him should be seeking to follow him and follow his example more closely each and every day. And we beheld his glory. In the Old Testament, some were exposed to God's glory, When he revealed himself, for example, he revealed his glory to Moses, but to protect Moses, he had to put Moses in the cleft of a rock while his glory went by. The glory of the Lord also appeared to people when they were in the wilderness of Sinai, when they had left Egypt and were arguing with Moses and disobeying God. But God's glory was there for them. We're exposed to God's glory through Jesus. So to summarize some of those aspects of the Incarnation, Jesus has existed right from the very beginning. He wasn't just created 2,000 years ago at his birth. His birth, though, fulfilled prophecies. Actually, Jesus himself, all the things about him, filled probably over 300 prophecies. He was born of a virgin. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was in step with his Father. His will was perfectly aligned with God the Father's will. He was the sinless sacrifice and he's there up there interceding for us now. He is King and he's Lord. This was the incredible gift that we celebrate at Christmas. The God who knew that we were lost and helpless, made a way for us to have forgiveness of our sin and a relationship with himself. It's through the incarnation. It's through Jesus taking human form and coming and giving his life for us. Isn't that amazing? We can't try and pay him back for the gift. We can't do anything to earn it. All we can do is accept it and say, thank you, God. God wants us to follow him, to celebrate when things go well, to trust in him when things are uncertain or challenging. And I should note that God's timing is not ours. We look and say, well, okay, you got a day to fix this. And if it's not fixed in a day, well, obviously you can't. The timing in the Bible, as, as we've seen, is far greater than a day. It's years, sometimes it's decades some things are longer and sometimes God's answer to us is no we don't always understand why but in his perfect wisdom he does whatever is best for us even when it doesn't make sense to us God's gift is like a plant that just keeps growing and blossoming it just keeps getting better and better we have forgiveness of sin we have peace with God And we have a new perspective on life, don't we? One way to stay close to God is through prayer. And just a reminder, if you have something that you'd like to have somebody pray with you or for you about, um, I would note that the prayer room is right here. Left here, sorry. My left anyway. And if you want to just come here after the service, somebody would be happy to come and pray with you afterwards. I'm just going to close with the words from the end of the Sunday school presentation again. Twas the very first Christmas, and there in the manger, the Christ child was born. It couldn't have been stranger. Shepherds saw angels, wise men a star. They came to see Jesus, they came from afar. They knew he was special, God's only son. He came to the earth to love everyone. He grew up in time, the Savior, the Lord, to be worshiped each day, to be loved and adored. So now at Christmas, we all take delight in the gift that God gave us the first Christmas night. In the gifts we receive and the ones that we give, let us never forget, is in Christ that we live. And as, many, as much as many of us might try and convince ourselves otherwise, Jesus is the only gift we really need I pray that each of you will have a very merry blessed Christmas filled with the love of Jesus the one whose
1: incarnation
0: we celebrate at this time of the year
1: thank you Steve this is a familiar song I think we've been practicing it a few times then we'll stand and sing he shall reign forevermore and then we'll close in prayer the marvelous the marvelous news that the shepherds heard that the wise men came to hear to see that god was indeed with us amazing and we've rejoiced as we've recollected the amazing christmas story this morning thank you for all those who were part of that uh, worship team this morning as well thank you for each of those young lives we pray for them that they would understand and that all of us would come to understand the importance that God came to be with us and to be one of us. We pray that as we go, we would share this joyous news as the shepherds did, that they rejoiced and told everyone that they met. And so, Father, we thank you for time like this and for this morning. We pray your blessing on the days and the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.